listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Podcast. I've got a real treat for you guys today, someone who owns a really cool music school, someone who's been a touring musician with a lot of great credentials and someone who's recently become an author. So let's us welcome the author of a brand new book, This Book Shreds, and that is Rob Spaminato from Rob School of Music. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for having me. Uh, and if you can see all, all our people watching rather than listening, uh, he's got a very cool looking up. Uh, looking school. If you can see in the background, you got you know, an awesome setup, a, a wall of guitars, uh, a wall of death with a bunch of different, you know, vintage and collectible amp heads. So and the guitar nerd in me is just, you know, totally geeking out right now with all the stuff I can see. And obviously a monster player, but Rob, um, for the people who don't know you yet or might not have connected with you online, give the listeners a brief overview of your story so far uh, and your transition from a touring musician to the owner of your music school and now, you know, the author of your new book. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a story that almost didn't happen. I, my father was a professional touring drummer, you know, for many years prior to my birth and then into my young childhood. And I started playing guitar when I was five because I, I loved watching my dad's band practices. And by the time I was six, I quit because the teacher just didn't know how to teach a five-year-old. And it was hurt my fingers. And uh, I literally have this visual, a vivid memory of my dad throwing my guitar out the front door and it just spinning like a frisbee across the front yard and that should have been it really i got into a lot of other things uh, martial arts sports and then when i was 13 a buddy of mine uh, one of my best friends started playing guitar again he said hey you still have that guitar that you had throughout the front door and uh from 13 onward it just it, it bit me and it never let go and it's literally my world i i, uh, I went to college for music i toured all over the united states various bands um, i had a son i transitioned into doing more session work and uh, corporate high-end sort of cover work. And then I started the school five years ago. And uh, now I have this, this, this awesome book that kind of tells that whole story and so much more. So the book's called This Book Shreds. It looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, so what motivated you to write the book? I have a sort of teaching music is, you know, we're all, there's only X amount of ways you can show someone how to play an E major chord, E minor chord, right? So I never foresaw myself as someone to put out a music education book because I feel like there's a lot of that out there. And there's a lot of great books out there. And with YouTube, there's just a lot of amazing teachers, you know, like yourself. There's just so much out there. But it was brought to my attention that I have very specific ways I, I inspire people. And um, I've done a bunch of interviews over during the last two years on YouTube with various musicians, Levi, Richard Fortas, uh, Bruce Felix, just some of my heroes, Peter Strauss. And people kept coming back to me and saying, wow, this question you asked, this is really cool. This response you gave was really cool. So. It kind of dawned on me, maybe it would be cool to take that philosophy of how music can, can become part of your life and 
some of the knowledge I've gotten from these amazing other musicians, plus my story, and put it into this book. So it's probably 25% my story, funny stories in the road, things like that. Um, 25% education in a very digestible, topical sort of way. And then 50% like self-help, like, you know, music can give you confidence. It can give you um, structure in your life. It's just really the coolest thing. Yeah, and, and that's what has got me the most interested about this is, is you hit the nail right on the head and saying, yeah, there's so many resources out there. The last thing we need to do is go and write another you know, guitar method book or uh, another fretboard memorization book or things like that because there was already a ton of great resources out there and, and plenty of bad resources out there as well. But with lockdown, it just seems like everyone in their spare time decided to uh, release a resource. So did you sort of identify that there's certain parts of the musical education process that is just completely out of date or out of alignment with you know, modern educational methods and how people should be taught? Absolutely. And I'm sure as a guitar instructor, you see this too, is if you grab you know, some of those Mel Bay books or I mean, we could go on and on listing them. You know, it's the same songs, the same diagrams, the same philosophies that, that were from, you know, the 60s and the 50s and, and in the 70s. And I think now with, you know, technology and the internet, we've always been myself personally and within the school, a very tech forward sort of uh, business and individual. So using everything out there that we have access to, I think it's a really cool way to sort of move education forward in a positive way. And then, you know, for me, I saw gaps in the way people are taught how to practice and, and how you have to do certain things. And I think music is full of so many very strong suggestions with very few absolutes. And I think a lot of teachers, you know, tell people you have to do it this way or else. And, and I just don't think that works. We're different. We're all different. So being able to find the why you want to learn is such a valuable way to get to how we're going to make it happen. Most definitely. And yeah, it's one of those things. Like I said, there's no absolutes. And I always like it back to the, uh, if you've ever seen that first Pirates of the Caribbean movie when she's like, oh, you know, you're not following the Pirates code. And he's like, ah, they're more like guidelines anyway. So, you know, there's just so many different ways you can go in music education. And the fact that you're a great example yourself of someone who just didn't gel at the age of five or six with it. And could have given up for life but a little bit later on you, you found a the spark once again and, and took a different approach and that made all the difference in the world and i i just hate to think how many Jimi hendrix's and any van halen's and mozart's and beethoven's that the world's missed out on because their teacher didn't capture their imagination or they didn't inspire them using the right tools at that point in time when they came into lessons and you know, the, the rare 1% go out and find another teacher. But for the vast 95, 99% of people, they just go, yep, guitar isn't for me or music's not for me. And they give it up and, and miss out on a lifelong of, uh, you know, hobby or, or just something that can be so fulfilling and so rewarding in so many areas of life. It's a real shame. Completely. And, and you know, one of the things I didn't foresee when this book came out was, you know, my goal was to, to really hit those people, those people who had a bad experience, those people who said, oh, it's too late, or, you know, my piano instructor was, you know, scale, scale, scales, and this, and posture, and all these things, and the violin instructor sticking them in the door frame so their elbow doesn't come out. Um, you know, I see the reviews on Amazon of just people that have reached out to me, you know, privately and publicly, that they're, they're getting the point that it isn't too late, and there isn't one way to do it, and for the love of all that is special and magical. Don't let that negative experience 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago in your youth affect what it could become in your life going forward. Yeah, most definitely. And 
uh, yeah, for all of our listeners here, I, don't, I th- think most of our audience are going to be guitar teachers, but this is a great resource that you need to, you know, have on your own shelf, read through it, relate to these experiences and learn what you can be doing better to be putting students off music or failing to capture their attention or sometimes being so rigid and set in your ways that you are actually putting people off. And that was like a pivotal moment in probably, you know, my uh, development as a guitar teacher maybe two, three years back is just realizing that, hey, I was being way too strict with people. And since making that change of going, yeah, we go strict with the strict people and we have these intense programs which can get really good results in a really short amount of time. But we've also got the hobby players and the more casual players. And you get people like, uh, uh, I won't say a name, but we've got a student who's you know a mother of four children and she doesn't practice between lessons because Guitar is her one hour of the week to herself that she gets to leave the house. Her husband looks after the kids and she gets to come and have fun. And she doesn't care whether she makes progress or not. She just loves getting that time to herself, loves being able to work on something. And that's her me time. So that's sometimes uh, an important realization for teachers is why is this person here in front of you? And what can you do to help them get the experience that they need, not to meet your expectation of you're going to turn them into the next Eddie Van Halen or or the next guitar virtuoso. And yeah, another great analogy that I draw, and this is more of a piano one, but uh, you know, I saw a piano teacher saying out of the thousand students I've taught, you know, my, tr- my truly great victories are these 10 people that went on to become like, you know, virtuoso players or concert pianists. And I thought, yeah, that's good for those 10 people, but what about the other 990 that you forced to quit because you were way too serious on them? Or could you have gotten more people playing long term simply because you got them enjoying it you made it part of their life made it part of their daily habit instead of this one hour a week they absolutely dreaded because you were (laughs) just going to come down like the terminator and annihilate them so what advice do you have for teachers who are um, in this position with their students how can they adapt uh, their approach from the content that they learn in in your your book from your approach yeah you know it's 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 so fascinating the analogy you just gave the story you just told because I've, I've, you know, I, I employ other teachers here, and I've had teachers come through um, that aren't here any longer. Phenomenal players, but they're that. They want exclusively and only to have this very rigid, you know, you're going to be my, my protege, my prodigy, and you're going to go out and take over the world. And I think that is such a narrow way of looking at it. My, my philosophy within Rob School of Music and, and everyone on my team, we have two rules in this order. Rule number one, have a good time. Rule number two, forward motion. If you're not having a good time, I don't care if you're moving forward. You've got to be having a good time. And I think as teachers, we need to leave our ego at the door. We're not sitting across from ourselves. We're sitting across from a completely different individual with different skills. And if their skill is simply to learn, hey there, Delilah, and play it in their bedroom for the rest of their life, that's great. If their goal is to learn jingle bells and play it on the piano or guitar at Christmas time, that's awesome. If the goal is to write music, we need, it's, we're facilitators. We are, we are in the service business. We need to give people what they want out of us. And I think truly the best teachers are the one who can sort of segment, segmentize, if that's a word, um, their skill set and give whatever the person needs sort of that stipend of what's going to move them forward in a way that they're having a good time. That's it. And those two rules definitely write it down as, and having fun in your lessons, that's got to come first. If people aren't having fun, they're not going to be sticking around for too long and um yeah yeah, this is probably leading into another question but you know 
every time I see you on social media, it's always either a photo of you surrounded by students who are having the time of their lives, or it's students getting up and performing and doing wonderful things. So, you know, what are you doing at your school to give students that wow factor and create these experiences for them, which are obviously translating to them having a really great time and moving the ball forward in their playing? So all of my teachers um, are organically high energy, you know, positive. We'll be your best friend. We'll be the person you can tell about your bad day. You know, it's, it's therapeutic in a way. Um, each one of our lesson rooms is set up with uh, tube amplifiers, nice professional gear. We have 60 plus guitars in the building that anyone can touch or play. We have a whole library of guitar pedals that people can grab and touch and use. Our drum room has two full uh, acoustic kit that people can jam out with. Our stage is set up at any point in time anyone can jump up and play. Our goal is truly for people to use this as a way to become the best version of themselves. If that means they need to blow off some steam or write a song about their crush or write a song about their boss being a jerk. You know, whatever that is, it's really just important to me that everyone who walks through our doors has the best has the best chance to have the best time possible. And I think these little things give them that opportunity. Fantastic. I think we might have to get a, a school tour off you at some point and, and pop that video up on the uh, top music forum there. But like if, if any of you guys are listening, jump on YouTube when we put the video out and just look at this picture. In fact, I'm going to take a screenshot of this right now and we'll post this up with the notes. Uh, but just looking at the space behind Rob right now, it's an amazingly it's inspiring it's space. It's not a background. It's, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's all real. So people are walking in, I, I take it, and they just see this amazing looking place pretty much straight away. Is that correct? So uh, we're on the corner of a, of a main street in our town here in, in a town called Suffer, New York. We're about 35 minutes outside New York City suburb. Um, all windows with branding on the windows, but you can see inside. And in the main space, we used to have a, um, a lobby, a waiting room. But when um, the pandemic happened, we, you know, no one was coming inside. So it was the biggest space in the building, but it was just sitting there. So last fall, we converted it into a stage. So it's a stage in the front, electronic drum set, um, nice uh, Yamaha piano, a bunch of uh, Line 6 Pod Go units, and it's all noiseless. So there can be a band up there jamming, but it's all in headphones, so no one hears it but them. So that's the first thing you see when you come inside. We have lights and everything, so at night I turn on the lights. It's very, feels like you're walking into a nightclub, really. And then when you get into all the lesson rooms, they all kind of look like this. They have, you know, sacks of gear and, and maybe not so much in others, but, um, you know, there, there's multiple guitars and amps and things. It just feels like music. It, like it, it's a hang spot. We have students who would come here and, you know, say their lesson's at four, they get here at three, but they're here until eight o'clock at night, just socializing with the other musicians, maybe jamming a bit, maybe watching, you know, we have concerts on the TV. So it's just, it's just a, an environment for younger musicians to be able to find their home, their place, their space, their people. That's it. That, that's absolutely amazing stuff. And I just got to see this. And I reckon everyone else listening here is going to be pretty excited about the fact you got a stage in essentially a walk-in area. And it, again, important that it's a hangout spot. And often, um, Musicians don't know where to go and find other musicians, or you get these people who who are you know adult learners, and once they're out of school, they've got nowhere to go and connect with people. So, in a space like you've got, a cool place to hang out where they can meet other musicians, talk about their you know vibe that's not Facebook or a potentially hostile environment in an online forum. Or <laughs> I'm I'm thinking specifically about ultimate guitar forums and places like this, where people just you know go for each other's throats all the time. But you're obviously creating a, like a really awesome 
safe, nurturing space people can come together and connect over a shared love of guitar playing. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's not just kids. I, I, I refer to all of them as kids, like people that are older than me and my parents, they're all my kids in a weird way. But on that stage, you know, we'll have, a, we'll have on Monday nights, we have kids performing up there, um, third graders through sixth graders. So like those are eight-year-olds, some of them up there. And then Tuesdays, Wednesdays, we have teenagers. And then Thursdays and Fridays, we have adult bands. Because just like you said, sometimes we need, once you get past that college age, it's hard to find other musicians. So we're always linking people up and saying, hey, come in, sit in with one of the bands, see if you like it. Um, like the space is bigger, we do even more of it. I would love to have you know, a monthly open mic where people can come and just share their ideas. And just really build that community. That was something that we really prided ourselves on pre-pandemic. And I'm so excited to see it coming back in a totally new country. Definitely. And I think just the marketing potential of being a, a place where musicians can hang out, uh, not just those who come and study with you, but for people to bring their friends from, you know, who might be learning with another teacher or have taken lessons in the past and, and aren't currently taking them, just having that opportunity for them to come to your music school, know who you are, drop in for a lesson a bit more casually than maybe, you know, when they need it, just being on people's radars, you know, is a really strong strategy for promotion and, you know, getting a, building a student base as well. Yeah, completely, completely. And like we just little things like I don't, I'm not sure what other schools are doing, but I found like the band programs are really cool for us. Um, each one of the lesson rooms has an iMac with a uh, Scarlet interface so we can do quick recordings of whatever's happening within the lesson. If someone's jamming or an idea is happening, you know, sort of organically, it's not like today we're going to record, but there's the ability to do that. So again, tech forward, just trying to use everything we can to make people feel like Whatever happens here, they can take it home with them. They can take it back next time. They can share it with other people and really just get the word out there. And, and like you said, we have a, our violin teacher. He works with people in other schools. We've had those students come in and, and be on our virtual recordings and things like that. So it's collaborative. It's, you know, obviously it's business for all of this because it's business. But music is the coolest business you can have because we're all in the same thing. We're on the other side of the planet. We're in a different, I think I, I, it's, it's, um, it's Friday here. It's Saturday where you're like, we're on different days, dude, and we're talking about music. 100%. Now, I want to ask a question. Again, I can hear how excited you are about your book, about your your um, music school, about all the amazing things you're doing. And you mentioned that your teachers are all high energy. So how do you go about keeping your energy high and your enthusiasm high and either finding high energy people or turning you know normal people into these excited high energy musicians? I have a very fancy espresso machine <laughs> in the school. <laughs> uh, that's true, but um, you know, it's it took time to find the right team. Like, like you know, we're we're in year five of this, and really only in the last year and a half have I really dialed it down to the right type of people. You know, it's it's passion. I think it is. It's passion about paying it forward. I, like I said earlier, like I've had some guys come in here who can shred circles around me, sweet picking and tapping and all these things that, you know, they're awesome, but they couldn't teach someone how to play, you know, Sweet Home Alabama. And you have to be able to level with someone and get to that why. And I just think I'm truly blessed to have a great team around me of people who care. It's caring, you know, it's, it's getting to that why, I guess. Yeah. And do you sort of uh, just people come through uh, and ask for a job and you could potentially, if you hire and you give them an opportunity or you're more um, seeking certain people that you know through connections and then offering them positions, how do you go about finding these people? So initially when I first started, um, I hired a lot of friends, which um, largely was a mistake because, you know, 
friends and work and always work together. The team I have now, they were all um, people I hired via putting out ads on social media or, or someone knew someone knew someone. Um, I'm proud to call them all my friends now, very close friends. But we met um, through just looking for a job. And uh, training, there's, there's a fair amount of training trying to get people on board with my philosophy and how sort of I want things done. They're largely very free to teach their own way, but I just like to make sure that it's still within this positive. Are we having fun? Are we moving them forward? Are they going home with wanting to play their instrument versus wanting to smash it into a million pieces? And have you had to fire people in the past have you found people that uh didn't gel with the way you do things or they seemed one way and then after a couple of months obviously their behavior wasn't congruent with the interview process absolutely absolutely and that's never easier fun um for me the hardest part in any of those circumstances and it's happened a couple of different ways one time someone was just doing um just being not teaching, really, just kind of, you know, pushing people through the book they were on and just kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and other times it's been people who are just kind of snarky rock stars and that wasn't a good fit either. But for me, I mean, it, it's, it's business, so it's not personal. So if I've ever had to let a teacher go, I always let them go, you know, in a professional manner, explain why there's sort of an, an uh, the opposite of onboarding, outboarding. Um, sort of meeting, but I feel bad for the student. I feel bad for the student because even, you know, in one or two lessons time, the student can build a pretty strong bond with that teacher. And it's hard to explain to someone, particularly uh, uh, someone in that, say, uh, nine to 15-year-old window, why their teacher isn't their teacher any longer. They're not going to understand, well, they weren't teaching correctly or they were doing something weird. So I think we always put a lot of energy into making sure that when the new teacher comes in, the student understands you didn't do anything wrong, nothing bad happened, nothing bad happened in what you were taught, but now sort of you've graduated to this even more awesome individual who's going to take you even further in your journey. Yeah, wonderful stuff. And it's never, ever an easy conversation with uh, teachers or staff members that aren't going to work out. But uh, what, what advice would you have to a teacher or a music studio owner who's got someone who is a good teacher but not a great teacher and, you know, they're procrastinating on the fact that they've got to let somebody go? They know they've got to do it, but they're you know, too scared to rustle feathers or swing the axe. I think that um, if you're sure of it, you know, and, and you really truly are just dragging your feet because you don't want to have that conversation, rip off the band-aid and do it. Be honest. You know, I think honesty is everything. And if you're honest with someone, no matter how uncomfortable it is, you're going to sleep good that night because you got it out of you. When you hold it inside, it's toxic. And if you're holding that person for another week or two, that's another week or two of time they've had with that student that's going to make it even more difficult for that student to understand why that person isn't their teacher any longer. At the end of the day, like I said, we're in the service business. We as teachers are servicing, well, it sounds weird. We as teachers are providing this value to these students, you know? So I think to just rip the bandaid off and let it out and be real with them, you know? I mean, I've had people come to me when it's happened and you go, like, oh my God, how am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to do this? And I'll say to them, listen, you know, go find something else. Maybe, maybe you can be a front desk person. Listen, if you're tight until you get back on your feet, maybe you come in, you know, you clean after hours or something. Like I always try and I never want enemies. And thankfully, I've never come out of a firing with an enemy. But I think if you're real with someone, for me personally, 
95% of the time when I've had to let someone go, as uncomfortable as it was, they knew it was coming. They weren't surprised. And I think that in itself is provides solace. Yeah. And most people, if they're dragging their feet as well, or they're not um, you know, performing, it's because they've mentally switched off or disengaged. So sometimes that, you know, they're feeling the same thing you are. They're just dragging their feet about putting in their resume for very, uh, sorry, the resignation for various reasons. So yeah, sometimes both parties walk away relieved at the outcome. And you know what? Like sometimes that experience is what it takes to help that person realize, like, I'm not trying to sound like holier than thou or anything, but I had an experience with someone three years ago and he was like my go-to guy. And all of a sudden he started just doing some dumb stuff. He no cold, no showed for a summer camp that we were going to be doing together. I said, that's it, dude, you're done. And that's just, I can't have that. And he took it really, really hard um, and got kind of obnoxious on social media. Fast forward to about a year ago, he approached me. He apologized for what he did. He had gotten himself back on track in his life and asked for a job again. I gave him a couple of lessons to work him back in. And now we're stronger than ever before. And he grew from the experience. So we just never know. Yeah, that's really interesting that you did give him another chance. And it um, you know, has ended up working out really good. I know a lot of people just uh, because of either ego or principle will just not work with someone else as well. But I think it's important, as you've just done, to be forgiving and sometimes give people second chances. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're all human, you know, like I, out of all the people that I've had, the, and I'm not, listen, I've, I've had to fire less than five people over the course of this time. So I have a pretty good retention rate, but all of them understood what was happening with the exception of this one particular guy who was felt blindsided by it. And, and even him and I now still, I had a big party to celebrate uh, the book release. He came to the party because he was part of the journey and we made amends. I wouldn't hire him again. But we could, you know, hang out together and have a beer and be cool. That's awesome. And now speaking of the party and the book launch, so um, I just wanted to ask a bit more about your band program and, and what things you're doing to actually, you know, create that active student community around what you do and to get your students actually participating. I know a lot of um, teachers like the idea of doing band programs and a lot of students say, hey, when are we going to do a band program or do this? And then they go and run one and then they only get like, you know, half a band's worth of students or, you know, not everyone joins in. So what's kind of like the secret formula to getting everyone involved in launching these new programs? So for me, and, and this is something I'm sure all of us have gone through, is I like to throw a lot of stuff at the wall and just hope one or two of the things stick. And a lot of people, you know, they see all these social media victories and all these really cool things and uh, books and all this really cool stuff. And obviously, there are way more failures than successes. So I, I don't want anyone to ever feel discouraged when they try something and it doesn't work. It's only truly a failure if you don't try something else. So... My band programs, I tried them pre-pandemic. I had two bands going, and they were, it just wasn't great. The teacher running it wasn't doing a great job. Just things weren't exactly as I wanted. When we relaunched the bands last fall, um, it was different. I learned better ways to handle it. I put different people in place to make it happen. Um, each one of the bands has a teacher in the band in some role, be it as the drummer or a guitar player or a bass player not usually the singer, but there's always a professional musician helping to make sure that band is gelling um, when they go perform. And, you know, from a business angle, it, it's huge because it's an upcharge for us. You know, we charge our monthly tuition and then we charge an extra uh, upcharge to be part of this weekly hour-long band class. 
And what makes the musicians excited in it is every week we're giving them songs, we give them the charts, we have the rehearsals, and we book them gigs. We literally book them paying performances. Um, we're doing uh, June, middle of June, which I can't see the date, but there's a local minor league baseball stadium here. And we have a two-hour block of time at Rob School Music Day to allow all of our band programs to perform as people are entering the ballpark, which is like real bands do that, you know, like gigging bands do that. So an opportunity like that, which comes from my gig, you know, those are my contacts from when I used to do gigs. So I think, you know, little things like that. And I've seen some other schools around the country, they do similar things. I think treating your bands like real bands and giving them real opportunities is a huge incentivizer to, you know, sort of weed out who really wants to do it and who just wants to kind of do it. We treat it very, very seriously. Yeah, and that's insane. The the difference in, you know, the average people or the people that really go for it is the fact that you're giving these experiences, you're giving them real gigs, they're getting paid, they're playing in front of not just small audiences, but, you know, significant audiences. So they get the the real deal, not just the, you know, play at the old folks' home. Not that that's, you know, I don't want to devalue the, uh, the ability to go out and do that as a gig as well, but there's obviously a big difference between playing in front of a bunch of, you know, disinterested people versus, you know, people coming into a baseball stadium on a big stage in front of all these things. So, yeah, amazing stuff. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a good point there because we've done the old folks stuff too. And around the holidays, we go around and do some Christmas songs and things like that. And there's definitely a different energy from, the, you know, the kids up on the stage when, when they're on a rock show versus, you know, just kind of doing some charity stuff. But that, again, that's all the different sides of the musical coin. You know, we want to hit it from every angle, you know, to be as I think something that makes us unique is all of our teachers are current and or uh, retired performing gigging musicians on, on local, regional, and sometimes even national levels. So we're all coming from a place where we can kind of pay it forward to our students saying, listen, like a gig is a gig and you may, you may love Metallica, but if you get a gig playing Lady Gaga, you take the gig because it's a gig. And I think that's an important skill to give to people as well. Most definitely. And I just want to go back a, a tiny little bit. Um, uh, two great points, but I don't want this question to go go too far before you get distracted again. It's, just, it's so great having you and you know other people like you on here, Rob, because there's just so many different directions we can go in. But before you mentioned, you know, you just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. So what keeps you, you know, constantly trying? What keeps you always searching for, you know, new things to do as opposed to people who try it once, it doesn't work, and they just give up and, you know, go and find something else to do? I think it's, it's personally something in my nature. Um, like I said, my father was a professional drummer growing up, but he was also an entrepreneur. He had uh, many businesses throughout my lifetime. And we had a restaurant um, 2008, 2009, and 2010, a fine dining Italian restaurant. Right? My family, my dad and I ran it. And that's when the economy tanked. And I was younger and I was not really a savvy business guy and in the business, you know, we lost the business. And that taught me a valuable lesson that you never take your foot off the gas. Forward motion, keep going, keep going, keep going. The second you stop, that's when you could potentially fail. So for me, I'm first of all, I'm passionate about music. I'm passionate about the education. I truly believe me being a rock star is my ability to teach others. I never had a famous song. I'm not a household name. I never toured with a famous band. But I feel like a rock star every day because I get to 
sit across from someone and show them Metallica for the first time, Jimi Hendrix for the first time. Um, but it's just that 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 desire to just continually find ways to provide value to the people out there who are, you know, it, it's not lost on me that this is a luxury. This isn't like a pair of shoes where you need to buy a new pair of shoes every year. Um, music lessons aren't the same as playing on the high school football team where it's sort of like enshrined and part of ingrained and being a, I go to high school and I play football. Like this is sort of me sort of specialized. So I'm hyper aware of that at all times and just constantly trying to find ways to do as much as I possibly can to make sure whomever comes in my door never feels like they're, they're not getting the best possible experience. Yeah. Now, now digging a bit deeper into that, um, you mentioned you know, in the first or the 20, 2008 roundabout then financial crisis that you lost the family business. What happened differently during the pandemic of the last two years, which we're just coming on the back of? How did you pivot there? How did you adapt and, and stay afloat during those you know, two difficult years to operate through? So um, our town had the first New York State death before New York City went crazy, before everything went crazy, uh, it was locally chitter-chatter. Someone had passed away in the town, and uh, one of my police officer student, uh, the father of one of my students, a police officer, said to me privately on a Saturday afternoon, it was, uh, you know, the virus. We didn't even have the proper name for it back then. And I said, okay, this doesn't seem safe. I jumped on Instagram. I put a video. I said, guys, we're going to shut down. And this was like early March. So, like, we're still washing our hands. You know, we're still 20 seconds, you know, all that stuff, but no one knew anything yet. So I jumped on Instagram. I said, we're going to close down for two weeks just to figure out a week. Even, I said, just to see what's going on. Everyone's going to have virtual lessons. Um, and I spent that afternoon learning Zoom. I made a tutorial video for all of my students on how to use Zoom. I made a tutorial video for all of my teachers on how to get the best audio. And uh, I made everyone a link. I made everyone an account. And within a day and a half, that Monday, everyone went virtual. And we stayed that way. And this was like 10 days before everything shut down. So we were ahead of it. Kids were still going to school. And I think that me just blindly saying, eh, this seems scary. Let's get ahead of it, um, is what saved us. Because I was able to give everyone a sort of education on how to do this whole virtual thing before they had to do everything virtually. Um, we kept everyone's lesson time exactly the same. So as their whole world turned upside down, they still knew if they had guitar on Wednesdays at five, they still had guitar on Wednesdays at five, except it was in their bedroom and not at the school. And we stayed fully virtual until June 1st, 2021. So we haven't even been in, like, we're literally a couple of days away from the one year anniversary of opening back up. So I think that just being ahead of it, and then and I stayed on top of it beyond that. Sorry, I rambled. Um, as it became more evident that we weren't coming back anytime soon, I sent all of my teachers the Logitech Brio cameras with H4K. I sent them, you know, all with the microphones and stuff. So everyone was having, um, made sure everyone at home on our end was giving them the best possible audio and video we could with the technology available to us. And I think that helped also. Like multiple camera angles. When I do a guitar lesson, I still do virtual lessons for people that don't live you know, locally. Um, you, you see my, my hand, both hands, and my face. Our piano students, there's a down camera, so you see the, the keys. Our drummers teach on electronic drum kits so we can mix the audio so it's not just big crushing. 
obviously I can see a, a very meticulous attention to detail there. It wasn't just throwing your hands up in the, uh, the air and being responsive. It was being preemptive and seeing an opportunity or at least going and becoming prepared when you're a bit unsure so that you could preempt what was going to happen and set everyone up for success ahead of time. I think we did something similar and it made a world of difference. The fact that while everyone was losing their cool and had this huge amount of uncertainty that we were certain that we were still going to deliver lessons. It was just going to be online that similar to you, almost the exact same time, at least for the first couple of months before we optimized a few things. But it was just amazing sitting back watching so many people just give up or you know freak out about it or just tell their students yeah we're not going to have lessons for two weeks which became six months which became two years here in australia like we pretty much were locked down for 18 out of 24 months for that that two-year period kind of thing but it is so great to be back in person and i'm sure your students getting to uh, be back in that studio are, are definitely feeling the same oh totally man and you know it was so strange like I've never said this part out loud because I feel like it just feels not believable. So I order a lot of stuff from the company Sweetwater. I don't know if they have Sweetwater in Australia as well. Sweetwater is a big music uh, uh, supply company, instruments and things. And I'm very close with my sales rep. Turns out um, that he's a guy who actually went to the same high school as me a couple years younger. Um, so I deal with him often. And in February of 2021, I reached out to him to order something and he said to me, you know, Rob, I was just talking about you. And I said, oh, that's weird. And he goes, I was talking to someone and he was a music school owner and he was um, freaking out because he was had a payment plan for some gear and he couldn't afford it. He was losing his business, but you know, obviously pandemic. And he, my rep mentioned me to this guy as like a shining light of, no, it can work. Trust me, this guy, it's working. And the guy whom he was talking to, who was based in like uh, Georgia, another state, right? He's like, oh, Rob School of Music. I've seen him on YouTube. I've seen his interviews. And like hearing my guy say to me that he was telling a stranger about me to try and motivate him that you can make this work. It'll be okay. And then this total stranger had stumbled upon what I was already doing. Like there's no words for that. It's just the craziest feeling in the world. But it makes me feel happy because we're all in this together, right? Like. A lot of people, they can get very competitive with other music schools and other music lesson programs. To me, like, it sounds sort of aloof, but if you don't want to play guitar with me, that's fine. Play it with someone else. Like, we just, just play guitar, you know? Like, it doesn't matter, really. There's enough to go around, but let's just keep that ball moving forward. 100%. And this is maybe a good point for the listeners and something I've definitely gone through is, yeah, that whole every other guitar teacher in existence is a competitor and I've got to keep everything I do closely guarded. And part of the reason why I come on board with top music was because I would just say, yeah, there's other guitar teachers out there who are so giving with what they do and, and they can share their information have a really big impact and to know again that this going back to how we start this conversation there's so many guitar teachers out there and music teachers in general who are teaching guitar that and music the same way it wasn't like you know this the 1600s it's just that same format students are completely disengaged um my teacher taught me this way who learned from their teacher who learned from their teacher and that's putting students off learning so if we can get together have a conversation um share our knowledge collaboratively and help other teachers get ahead then that makes a world of difference and it you know prolongs 
to the art form of guitar playing and music education or whatever instrument it happens to be and helps the next generation of, of guitar players or musicians have a much better experience. Um, but you could also just look at it at the fact like, you know, when you're a guitar player, did you have one teacher for your entire um, guitar playing journey or did you get a couple of different teachers or as you progress from high school to university to uh, wherever you are if you continue on beyond there you probably had different teachers for different stages of your guitar playing journey or on the entrepreneurial side of things you have one coach when you begin and then you graduate past their program to another coach or another program or you're just in this mode of hyper consumption where you're getting resources from wherever you can. I definitely know I'm that kind of person who, you know, I do this course and that course and I see this thing. I'm like, man, I want to buy that, but maybe later kind of thing. Like how you behave is how a lot of other people behave. There's no benefit to having a scarcity mindset at all. And in fact, the more people you can get out and connect with and build your reputation, build relationships with, the more, you know, energy can flow back to you. So my recommendation, you know, to anyone listening who is kind of fearful, yeah, you might have some really cool secrets and you don't want to tell the guitar teacher with a store across the road from you all your top you know, business secrets. But in the global sense of guitar playing community, you can give a lot and then get a lot back in return. A hundred percent. And, you know, when I first started finding, like I, I was part of the, I did uh, subscribe for some time to the, the piano before Tim had the, uh, the guitar stuff, the piano stuff. Uh, to show my piano teachers and just all these other online forums, there is so many teachers with so many cool ideas. And it's like, you just never know when that one thing, as you said to me once, and it's true, and your program, I'm sure, is, is full of it. Like, that one thing that's going to change everything. And if that makes you, forget a better business person, it makes you a better teacher. If it's a way to get that concept to someone else, you're winning, you know? 100%. And, you know, for me, it's not so much there's one, one thing. It's there's one thing at every phase of building a business. There's the one thing when you're starting out that can really get the ball rolling. And then there's that one thing that helps your retention so that students who come in don't, you know, fall out the bottom of the boat, uh, you know, too quickly. And then as you're, you know, getting your finances organized, there's that one little thing. So there's always, it's just like, you know, putting together a puzzle piece and always finding that right next piece from the pile of, of millions of things. And to go back to what you said before about, you know, trying things out and always throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Sometimes you throw it at the wall in the beginning and it doesn't work out. And then you throw it somewhere two years later, it doesn't work out. And then five years down the track, once you've got the right infrastructure, once you've had a few other puzzle pieces, like picking up a puzzle piece and having no idea where it goes, it's still part of the bigger picture, but it you, you don't have the rest of the stuff for context to find out where it goes. And as you fill in more and more of the pieces, then some of the ones you've already picked up, you can come back to and slot back into the right spot. So, you know, it's an ever, you know, developing kind of program. And, and sometimes, you know, you can do a program, get one thing out of it, but then go back and revisit it 12 months later and get three or four more things out of it. So, and this is for your guitar playing. My biggest example is jazz. It's something when I went to university straight out of, uh, you know, what you guys call college university here, yeah, I went from being the best rock guitar player in my high school to the worst jazz guy at university and almost failing because I went from a, you know, parrot like exam kind of learn it to pass the test scenario to improvisation. And I'd never, ever done that before. And I, I just didn't know the guitar well enough and I didn't know the, uh, the fretboard well enough or how the theory worked. And that's part of why we do improvisation so early on now at Melbourne Guitar Academy. 
because it's a direct, you know, correction of my experience, which is, you know, really negative and going, well, I really didn't know that much stuff or I wasn't prepared for this kind of thing. But there's stuff that I learned in the first year, which just went straight over my head because I wasn't ready. And there's stuff in the in the third year and the fifth year, I actually had an arm operation. So it took me five years to do my degree instead of three. But I was often a little bit angry at the fact that I felt cheated out of, you know, I went and got this college education and not, not going to say, you know, college is a scam or anything like that, but it definitely didn't set me up uh, to get what I needed out of it. But it wasn't so much because the, the course was bad or the teachers was bad. It was because I wasn't ready for it. And now I go back and revisit things and I go, yeah, I did learn that in, in college or, or my music degree. But now that I come back to it as a more mature player with a better understanding of the instrument, it just makes total sense and it just clicks straight away. So yeah, to, to bring this plane in for landing <laughs> on this massive long rant tangent, like you've got to revisit things. You've got to learn from a bunch of different teachers to see what gels for you. You can take five different courses from five different people. And depending on where in your business, you can get completely different things. And sometimes you've got to find the right guitar teacher or the right coach or the right person that gels with you. And you'll become an amalgamation of you know the best bits of advice that connect with you and resonate with you from different teachers or coaches. But unless you go out and do it and test it and implement it, you're not going to know. So yeah, don't be scared of other teachers, guys. Don't be scared of learning yourself from other people or even taking on students who might have been off with other teachers because everyone's got to find the right place they belong and the things that resonate with them. Totally. Yeah, some of the stuff you said is so interesting because I I was a metal guy. I was a Metallica and Megadeth and all that kind of stuff. When I went to college, same thing. Uh, Part of my degree was uh, performance. I said, oh, jazz guitar. Obviously, I'm a guitar player. Jazz is cool. Beat the the hell out of me, man, because that was such a different world. Same thing. All the improvisation stuff, I just, that was something I was very unfamiliar with. And just like you, I make that such a pillar of what we put in our new students. You know, we're jamming right away. I want them to feel free on the instrument. Don't feel stifled or afraid of it because a lot of guitar players, they're so, oh, what key is it? Okay, uh, E, okay, I know E. Like, they just can't get in their own head about it. So, wow, same thing, crazy. Have you, I can't remember what it's called, but there's like this thing called, the something monkey scenario. It's not like the, the monkeys on a typewriter, but they reckon in the evolution of monkeys, doesn't matter whether they were in Madagascar or in Africa or, you know, this island off Japan, um, all the monkeys around about the same period of time figured out that they could use sticks and put them in, in termite mounds. So I think all these guitar teachers are just simultaneously all around the world realizing that, you know, this doesn't work and they're all coming to their own conclusions separately, but it's all in the same direction. I think that's, you know, absolutely fascinating. And the more people like yourself that I interview, all the switched on kind of teachers who are cottoning on all have a similar story. There's a dissatisfaction with the traditional approach and then sort of a, a rejection of certain things and then adoption of a whole bunch of new kind of approaches. And for me, I was in year 11, year 12, um, and with the school that I went to, um, being a Catholic school, we were allowed to do our religion as a, a school subject a year earlier and have it count towards our, our final score. And I actually did two subjects, did a science and a religion one. So in my final year, I had two separate spaces. So the school's like, you've got to take an extra subject because you need to be here a certain amount of hours. So I picked psychology just thinking, okay, that, that's apparently an easy one to do, which you can get a good mark in with relatively little um, – input. So we're in like the third week or something and there was this subject on learning psychology. And I was like, oh, what's this? And I was reading about all these learning hacks and how to optimize the brain. I'm like, 
this is amazing. Like, why, why am I finding this out in the third week of the final year of my schooling? If we had have learned this in year seven, how much better would the education system be? How much more would people pass tests, like remember things better? How much more fun would they have? And it was just like, you know, mnemonic devices and little tricks you can do to, you know, memorize a hundred names in a row and stuff like that. And I was just like, wow, like this is crazy. So I ended up like, instead of just reading the, the excerpt we had to the three pages for the course, I read the whole chapter and I was like, started using it in my own guitar playing. And I was like, oh, now instead of taking like, um, let's say I had to learn like a guitar solo instead of it taking me three weeks to memorize I just realized that hang on this big long run is just a six note repeating pattern over and over and it went from taking three weeks to learn a scale run to like two minutes to learn it because I could see how the pattern was applied and that just like allowed me to condense time so I started using that in my own playing and then I started for the handful of friends and students that I had at that point, because uh, I was just teaching a couple of mates at high school, started using it with them. And I was like, whoa, this actually works. And that just changed the whole trajectory of everything that I did. And all of a sudden I become interested in, in learning psychology and you know, read the whole chapter, tried it out and got a bit distracted during uni. But then I come back to it when I started teaching more full on. And that's what became you know my difference in my local area. How I got all these gun students was I wasn't the best guitar player and I wasn't the best um, you know, guitar, I didn't have the experience to be the best guitar teacher, but I focused on learning psychology and I focused on teaching the students how to learn effectively. And by giving them those habits, that's what translated them to being high performers and getting really great uh, progress in a short period. And, and that comes back to when I had the arm operation, I couldn't actually play guitar for more than five minutes in the first week. I, I'd play five minutes in the morning, five minutes in around about lunchtime and five minutes before bed. I could play. And I tell you, after not playing guitar for uh, six weeks, cause I had surgery and before that, not being able to play for about 18 months, having the ability to play, have play guitar taken away from me, gave me the perspective that I definitely wanted to do this and gave me a new appreciation for the fact that, you know, I couldn't play 18 months ago and now I'm getting to essentially my hand would shake. You probably can't see it on the video, but if I was thinking about playing, my whole hand would just shake like I had Parkinson's. I had to retrain how to you know, use my fingers and everything. And part of that was using these learning psychology hacks, using sports science hacks to make the most of the five minutes that I could play. And then the next week it was 10 minutes. The next week it was 15 minutes, three times a day, and then 20 minutes, three times a day. So over the course of about six months, I had to build my hand from not being able to tie my own shoelaces or brush my teeth uh, with it in the first week to end up after about six months, I was a better guitar player than I was 18 months prior to the injury and all the surgery because I had such a uh, focused, you know, dedicated, nuanced approach to practice. And the fact that I, if I didn't have a guitar, I would just sit there reading music theory books or visualize practice and do all these amazing things, which uh, again, even though I wasn't picking up the guitar, I was still getting better just because of the mental side of the practice. So that's something that I put into my own students um, and showed them how to do these little things. And, and you just go on our YouTube, we've got like, you know, seven-year-olds playing Eruption and we had Jeff who's 12 years old just play Tornado of Souls by Megadeth, including the guitar solo. And people go, how do you do it? It's like, how do I do it? I teach them how to learn and I make learning fun so they're engaged with learning. And once you inspire people, when you know inspiration meets the right you know, path and approach, we just give them a big seven-lane highway and a really fast car to jump into and they just take off. And all we've got to do is keep them on the track. I love that, dude. Teach people how to learn. That, that's the secret sauce. That's great. Awesome. Now, I am aware of time and I don't want to hog all of it by doing all the talking there, but 
did you have any other secret sources that you do in your business? You know, it's, it's, it's really, I was told once before that this is not a sustainable model and I disagree, but I truly try and teach every person differently. It really isn't a cookie cutter sort of scenario. So I can have two people who are very similar, very similar in age, taste, irrelevant. They're going to have a different experience. Maybe one person, we start with uh, one person starts with the major scale, one person starts with the minor scale. Why? Because uh, their taste, where they're feeling it, what I'm thinking, you know, are they going to be more comfortable jumping off from the minor pentatonic into the minor scale or, or you know, well, major because they're feeling happier and they can understand, you know, Del Rey Me and that makes sense to them. So for me, my true secret sauce, aside from everything I've said, is really making it unique to each person. Getting to that live, if I can understand, is there a goal? Because hey, I'm not embarrassed to admit it. I started playing guitar for two reasons when I was 13. Metallica was awesome, and I wanted girls to like me. And I, it's, it's it's in the book. I mean, it's silly, you know, in hindsight, but those were my motivators. So my teacher told me lots of cool stories of him being in bands and cool things like that. And he gave me the skills to be able to play the music I wanted to play. He used Ender Sandman to teach me how to palm you and how to read tabs. So for me, it's, okay, what are you into? What do you like? What kind of time are you going to put into it? If you're telling me that you can only practice for, um, you know, 20 minutes a day, then I need to make sure as a teacher, I need to give you material in a particular way where you're going to move forward with the amount of time you can practice. But if it's a professional, what if someone who has four kids and, and a full-time job, they can only practice for five minutes every couple of days. Okay, then I need to make sure what I give them is going to still fit within that certain framework to move them forward. Um, I always try and tell all my students, my secret sauce to practicing is, um, let's say that you can practice four times a week between your lessons, and each time you practice, it's going to be for 30 minutes, just for even numbers. I want each one of those 30-minute practice sessions to have 20 minutes of whatever the heck you want and 10 minutes of whatever is challenging. And I truly believe that if you take one-third of every time you grab your guitar, one-third of that time focusing on something challenging, you will never plateau and you will always move forward. And I've seen it time and again, and that's something I try and instill in all of my students because I think it's sometimes unrealistic to expect that someone's going to be able to practice what I feel like is the proper amount of time because I'm not them. I don't know their life. I don't know their responsibility load. I don't know their life load. I don't know their workload. And life does get in the way. And for most people who come through my door, this isn't their bread and butter. This isn't what they're paying their bills with. So they must prioritize their job, their boss, their family, their children over you know, the amount of time they can throw into guitar. So it's just finding a way to give them proper curriculum specific to them that's going to fit within their lifestyle and really, really encourage them to take that one third of every time they touch the instrument and do something challenging. And I talk about all that. That's like a big, big component within the book is that that practice philosophy. And I actually have launching, um, hopefully, late June, early July, um, actually this book shreds.com where you'll be able to get the book by just paying for the shipping, you get the book for free and there'll be all of these other packages, one of which is a practice calendar um, and guided practices with me pre-recorded. So uh, a 10 minute practice session 
a 20 minute, a 30 minute, all the way up to an hour and sort of me working you through a time lapse. So you're not sitting there, but um, working you through, okay, if you have this much time, here's how I would structure it. You have this much time, this is how I would structure it, just to get the most valuable, uh, the value in that time. Time is our only, you know, precious commodity. It's really because we're not getting any more of it, right? So it's how we can pinch and squeeze every ounce of usability out of each minute. I think there's just absolute tremendous value in everything you just touched on in the last two or three minutes there. Uh, and everyone should pay attention again. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was all great stuff. Um, but yeah, guys, check out the book. Um, what was that link again? Uh, this book shreds.com. Yeah. So currently it's available on Amazon. You can buy the book on Amazon, the, uh, the, um, Kindle version and the physical copy. The audio book should be launching on Audible and all the other audio sites um, within the month of June. And then at the end of the June, early July, we're going to have This Book Shreds, the name of the book, thisbookshreds.com. And um, it's going to be a, a you get the book basically for free, just pay for shipping, which in itself will be cheaper than Amazon. So that's kind of, shh, don't tell anyone yet. But, uh, but all the added value sections, that's really where I think it's going to get people. Yeah, fantastic. And, and going back to that secret sauce, again, the biggest mistake teachers make, I think, is not realizing how low a priority guitar often is for our students. For us, it was always like in the top three. I don't know about you, but for me, it was like guitar was priority number one, lived and breathed guitar, got up, played it in the morning. At school, I just it's like, man, I can't wait till school's over so I can get home and start practicing, all those kind of things. So that was always priority number one. Uh, sometimes priority number two, depending on what else was going on. But for our students, like you'd be lucky if it's in the top five, uh, maybe one in a hundred students who does want to be professional will come to you. We'll put it in their top five, but everyone else, family comes first, jobs comes first. Um, every other crisis that's going on in their life. And sometimes you can, if you inspire them the right way or you motivate them the, the wrong way, or you, you know, get them at the point where they're eight and then they get them to age 13 and all of a sudden girls and guitar and music becomes part of their life, then it can shoot up from priority number eight to priority number one, two, three kind of thing. But you need a framework that allows them, as you said, to be personalized to them, to avoid that cookie cutter approach. And I always say, give them what they need in the context of what they want. Yes, it's important for them to learn their scales or the chords or this type of theory. But if you teach it in the same boring old dry way that they get it in like, you know, a high school class catered to 30 kids, most of which are going to be piano players, then they're going to disengage. But if you show them how Metallica <laughs> uses this scale or Eddie Van Halen uses his technique, or it doesn't matter who they're into, like, um, it could be a jazz player you've never heard of who they found on YouTube kind of thing. If you can connect what they're interested in and then use that to guide what you're going to select them and how you give it to them, it makes the absolute world of difference. So guys, definitely have your framework set up and say, these are all the things we need to teach you, but then think about how do I connect it to what this person wants to do and why they're here. And if you can get that right, you know, it'll go from priority 10 to priority eight to priority five and eventually for a small percentage percentage of your students, priority one, two, three, and they're the guys that stay with you for, you know, five, 10 years and, and become lifelong guitar players. As an author, and this is probably my second last question uh, before we wrap it up, because I'm aware of time. Um, what are some books that inspired you and are there any recommendations you'd have other guitar teachers or music teachers check out? You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I read a lot. I read a lot of business books. I, I love Gary Vaynerchuk stuff. Um, I love um, Russell Brunson stuff, I think it's fantastic. I, I like Tim Ferriss in terms of just his tenacious take on life kind of thing. 
but there's just so many great books out there. I just, uh, I just got, just got this one, which I didn't even read yet, but this came on a strong recommendation. Super fan by Pat Flynn. It, to me, when I'm reading, uh, or, um, what's the other one I just got? One of my teachers bought it for me. Guitar. Oh man. Guitar. Sensei guitar or something like that. I can't remember the name, but for me, it, it's read everything you can. There's so much information out there. Um, business books, self-help books, music books, music biographies to learn. You know, I love music biographies. Um, just get everything you can within your world. I think what makes this work again, service, providing a service or so anything about building a community and providing value and learning how to offer, 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 offer. Gary Vaynerchuk has this book, uh, Jab, 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 Right Hook. And it's about giving, 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 giving. And then finally you give your ask at the end. But if you're not providing enough value, you know, what What makes a $200 a month program different from a $100 a month program? Probably not all that much other than the value that that teacher has provided along the way and the platform they've given themselves to say to someone that, Here's why you should come to me, you know? So things like that. Yeah. Got to be well read. I'm, I'm sure if, if you've got that many guitars on the wall and that many uh, amps behind you, your bookshelf must be absolutely enormous. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absurd. I literally, um, I have two giant bookshelves at home and I have two here at the school and then they're just spilling out of every corner of my office here as well. I'm constantly, um, I think reading, it's just, when I read a book, I sort of read down the center of the page and peripherally grab the information. But there's some books that I'm in the middle of that I'm like, the whole page is filled up with the highlighter because you can get in just one sentence, something that'll change everything, change everything in your world. And the only way you're going to get that is just keep reading and keep learning and keep consuming, constantly consuming. 100%. It's funny, like when you get more highlighted text than actual, like, you know, plain text, left in the book at the end of it you know you're on a really good book uh but rob we are going to wrap it up here it's wet <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> it's dripping with ink where can everyone follow you on social media on youtube we've of course got you know this book shreds.com which will hopefully be live by the time this comes out or, or close to where can we hit you up on social media so uh rob's school of music.com facebook.com slash rob school of music Instagram, YouTube, they're all Rob's School of Music, R-O-B-S-S-C-H-O-L of Music. Just make sure you get the Rob's with the S and then the S for school. Um, half my emails don't come to me because people don't type it that way. But just Rob's School of Music, if you Google it, you find everything. Um, I'm the only Rob's School of Music out there on Google, so that's awesome. And uh, yeah, jump on the YouTube because we have tons of video uh, interviews that I've done, like I mentioned earlier, with all those musicians, I think teachers will get a ton of value out of watching those interviews because somehow in my conversations with these complete strangers, they I, they just we get very comfortable together and we talk in such an organic way and there's nothing cooler than Steve Vai, you know, telling you a way to do it or, you know, uh, Nita Strauss telling you the way to do it, stuff like that. So I think, check out the YouTube channel. Fantastic. So guys, uh, hit up Rob on his social media platforms, grab a copy of his book. This book shreds. Uh, my copy is on its way right now. And I'm looking forward to 
checking it out as well. But Rob, thank you so much for coming on board, for sharing the wealth of knowledge and experiences that you did. And we look forward to hopefully, you know, connecting and working with you at some point in the future, because I, I feel like we've got so much more we can talk about. And today's just the tip of the iceberg. But thanks once again for coming on and we'll see you in the next episode. And for all of our listeners, guys, if there's anyone else you want to hear from, if you know a guy like Rob, who's doing amazing things in the guitar teaching world, or someone we need to talk to and get in this podcast, leave it in the comments and we'll try and make it happen. So guys, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day, morning, evening, night, wherever you are in the world. And we'll see you in the next episode. Rob, thanks so much. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.